0: we've been talking about various methods of acquisition for people slaves and property land and so now we begin a new mishnah on that topic uh, acquisition to Gavoa, meaning consecrating something, donating something to the Betamikdash, uh works in different in a different way and is much easier to acquire something. Uh, on behalf of the temple than in uh, then for regular cases so here's two examples uh regarding the authority of a gavoab that means of the Betamikdash to acquire we're talking about movable objects they can do it with money whereas for the author for a lay authority it has to be by physical possession we saw that already in order to acquire a movable item, one has to pull on it or pick it up. We're calling that khazaka here, even though in the previous context, khazaka uh, was meant land that you use the land. But here is to- we're talking about movable objects. So while money does not make finalize an acquisition, does not cause a transfer, trigger transfer regarding movable items for regular people, it does for the bet HaMikdash. And furthermore, speaking to for in terms of gavot is the same as handing off something for hijot so if someone says I uh, consecrate this item I donate it to the Bet mikdash just saying it the bet makes the Bet mikdash already own it even if the uh, treasurer or representative of the, of the Bet mikdash has not yet taken possession of it it already is theirs and so you cannot renege on that donation Good. Gemara will elaborate. So how does it work? What's an example where the authority of the Beit HaMikdash can be effectuated just by money. If the treasurer of the Beit get pays money for an animal. The Beit HaMikdash has to buy animals all the time for its usage. For let's say tamid. they'll take Mahasita shekel they'll go to a farmer and they'll say we want to buy uh, this animal so once he gives the money even if the animal is not present there it could be on the other side of the world and so obviously the uh temple treasurer did not pull on the animal the acquisition is done It they but that animal belongs to the betta mikdash whereas for a commoner at the it, giving over the money Does not, um, transfer ownership. Only pulling on it transfers ownership. What's the example of the second law in the Mishnah that speaking for, uh, in terms of, uh, donation is like, um, transferring for a commoner? If someone says this ox will be an Allah offering or this house will be hekdesh. These are different types of offerings, right? Because shor ze gives it intrinsic holiness that it can be sacrificed. This house is hekdesh um is that is not the the, the, better mcdash is probably not going to go and take the house uh, and move it or move in to it but rather he's going to donate the value of the house and he'll redeem it with money both types of donation work uh, effectuate the transaction um just by words whereas for a commoner a person would have to pull on that ox or go and uh, and uh, live in the house or lock the door in order to acquire it and so he'll see we'll see some effects of this uh, law <coughs> where it'll make a practical difference if uh, a, a commoner pulls on an animal that, what, it's, that's worth a, a hundred dinar um, and say and a, and a, a sanctified animal, meaning um, this animal is sanctified um, for its money and now I want to redeem it. So I'm, I'm, I'm pulling on the animal, showing my intention that I am going to acquire it with money. But let's say it took me a little time to get the money together and so I didn't redeem it with the money. And in the meantime, the price went up from 100 to 200. So how much do I have to give? Uh, the answer is 200. Why? Because the Pasuk says, and uh, when he gives the money, then it will be, it will be transferred over to him. It's only when he gives the money, that's when the trans- transfer is finalized. So we see here that I'm not uh, uh, doing meshiha on a sanctified animal while doing meshiha on a common animal, that's it. That would be, you know, we agreed on a hundred. I pulled it. That's it. would be mine. Uh, and the money would be in, you know, something that I owe you. Uh, I have to give you it eventually, right? But it, would, if, it if I pulled it at a hundred, uh, and it, you were a commoner and this was a regular animal, then it would, we, that was, that would be the sticking price. Whereas, uh, for the Betta Mikdash, the Betta Mikdash gets the benefit of the higher price and that's going to be the theme throughout the better always gets the benefit of a change so the opposite case where I pull an a sanctified uh, item. Uh, It's worth two hundred, and so my pulling and again is my shows my intention that I'm going to redeem it. And now it's worth two hundred, so I'm I'm gonna committing committing myself to pay two hundred here. But by the time I got the money together, the price went down. It's only a hundred. I still have to pay the Bet a hundred. Bet always wins, right? The house always wins. Because the power of a commoner should not be greater than that of HaMikdash. If it was a case of a commoner and I just took your regular animal and I pulled it because we agreed on a price of uh 200 and i pull it even if i don't pay you i and the price goes down i still have to pay you that original price the price at the pulling is the agreed upon price and so this should not lose out And B, I have less power than a commoner. So that's why the Hekdesh, in this case, gets 200. And the previous case also gets 200 because there is the the payment, right? We saw for Hekdesh, for for authority of Hekdesh, money is powerful. The the treasurer can buy with coins and and acquire something even on the other, other side of the world. And the same thing with selling um if i pay, once i uh if i didn't pay yet um and i only pulled on it so the betta could say oh well you didn't pay it so it didn't go through yet so uh therefore uh the betta um goes with um with the transfer of money that would be the main thing nevertheless even though the transfer of money is the main thing and so the betta mcdash benefits. in this case still the betta should not lose out and be worse than the commoner so that's why the betta gets the best of both worlds now the order of events is the other way around. I gave the money first, right? I went to a temple treasurer and I gave him 200 for this particular ox because now I'm, I'm redeeming it, but I didn't get a chance to actually pull it. And in the meantime, right, by the time I, uh, I, I got around to actually pulling on the animal, the price went down and now it's only 100 still that 200 I gave it already and I, I I can't get it back right the 200 is sticks my law as we said before regarding uh, redemption it's giving the giving of the money that is what makes the transfer so that's it I I already bought it I already redeemed it um and again because in the in the authority of the beta it's the money that effectuates the transfer in both ways now If I went to the temple treasurer and I uh, I gave him a hundred dollars uh, For this ox and now by time I went around I got around to pulling on it. It went up in price 200 so in this case well, we, we again, we said for authority of Betta the money is what makes the transfer. So when I gave the hundred, that's it, right? It's mine, even though I didn't pull on it yet. And so in this case, what's redeemed is redeemed, and I have to give only a hundred, so I can benefit in this case, right? Whereas if it was a person, it would not be so. So now we ask, how come we don't, how come we don't, um, uh, give him the, 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 give the person the worst deal and give the better mechdash the better deal? In this case also, am I? Should the, the, the power of a commoner should not be, uh, more than hekdesh? And if it was a commoner in this case, and let's say I was just buying it from you and I gave you a hundred dollars, but I didn't pull on it yet. And then it went up to 200. So since I didn't pull on it, on it yet, The find the transaction is not finalized and you could say, don't forget it. You know, in the meantime, it went up in price. You have to give me another hundred and I would have to give another hundred if it was a commoner sale. So how come we don't say the same thing? How come here we go? We go strictly with the rule that for the authority of the Dash money is what makes a transaction and that's it. Now the commoner can benefit. And the answer is, If a commoner would do such a thing, would they not get a curse called the Mishepadah curse? Uh, this is when something is technically legal permitted, but is against the spirit of the law and against the, uh, the wishes of the Chachamim. It's basically an unethical thing to do. So the rabbis, so the rabbis say, if Someone who does this, even though technically it's a, it's a valid legal uh, thing to do, uh, will still will give him a curse and say, He... Hashem, who exacted punishment over the generation of the flood, should give punishment to anyone who does this. What is it talking about? If I say, um, you know, we agree on the price, and I give you $100 for this ox, right? And we agree, and you take the $100. But I didn't pull out and eat yet. And then the price goes up, now even though legally you have a right to say oh well you didn't take it yet therefore you know what i renege on the deal and uh, if you still want it now you have to pay the new price of 200. even though you have a legal right to do that the rabbi say someone who does that should be should get punished right it's not a proper thing to do it's not an upright and um upstanding thing to do so therefore if a hijot does it even though it legally is permitted we look down upon it Therefore, we do not say, apply in this case, um, because since, even in a Hejot case, we expect the person not to do that, and most people are not going to, to insist on the price that goes up. Therefore, it's just equal. And so, in the case of Hekdesh as well, since I already paid the temple treasurer 100, and the payment finishes, effectuates the redemption. It's, it is already mine, even though I didn't pull on it yet. And so in that case, we say, well, you didn't, you didn't, uh, you paid already. So that effectuated the transaction, transaction. And so what do that? You didn't pull on it yet. It's already yours. So take it. And the Betta is not losing out anything because if the same thing was done, With a person, also the uh, the expectation of the rabbis would be that a person would not then go and raise the price. And so it's actually just the same. All right. Now we come to the next Mishnah, somewhat famous Mishnah. Um, it's not clear how it's related to what came before because we're not talking about acquisitions or anything. Uh, it seems uh, the main uh, uh, point here is that we're talking about the obligations of a father to his son, and we're going to see one of them is to marry him off. So this might just be related to the topic of Kiddushin. Uh, although others say well, it's related to the topic of differences between uh, men and women, and uh, and um, different classes, um, as we saw before, so it could be related in that sense also. All right. All commandments with regard to a son that are the obligation of a father. This phrase is ambiguous and what i will clarify that this is, is in fact talking about the obligations that the father has to do for his son in that case men meaning fathers are obligated women meaning mothers are not are, are exempt whereas all commandments of um that with regard to a father that are placed upon the son meaning things that a child has to do for a parent both men and women meaning both sons and daughters have to do for their parents any positive commandments that time causes them to be come into effect that they are not the obligation is not present all the time but at certain times that that the um they that given time when it arrives triggers the obligation in that commandment then uh, men are obligated and women are not Whereas, positive commandments that are not dependent on time, both men and women are obligated negative commandments things that one may not do it doesn't matter whether they are uh, um, uh, triggered by time or not triggered by time Uh, both men and women are obligated except for three except for rounding out the hair of one's head so that's the um, that would be cutting off the peot and such that if you did that then you'd have a rounded haircut that was associated associated with idolatrous priests and so only men cannot get a haircut like that but women are allowed and uh, cutting the corners of the beard right here and here there's different opinions about where it is. And so shaving with a razor, this is with a razor, one can cut one's beard with a scissor, um, but shaving with a razor directly on the skin, um, in those spots is prohibited to a man. If a woman needs to, uh, 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 uh shave some facial hair, she's permitted to do so even with a razor. And lastly, becoming, uh, uh, tamet, lamet, um that for a Kohen. Uh Kohen male Kohen cannot become Tame the Lamet if it's not for a close relative, but a uh, bat Kohen, she can go become Tame Lamet even for uh for someone who is not a close relative. All right, so now we see all the differences. Now let's analyze the first one, Mai. What does that mean? All commandments of a son upon the father. If you say, a more seems like a more straightforward reading, any commandment that a son has to do for the father, like Av, you're gonna tell me that women don't have to do it. Daughters don't have to, um not obligated and mitzvot to do for their parents. ish and ish. Now we're looking at the other pasuk ish. Uh, says a man has to fear his uh, mother and father. So if I said only ish, I would say find a man uh male but isha minain how about a daughter ish ima tira the continuation is in plural tirau if it really meant only a man not a woman it's just a tirah so the plural here teaches me that both men and women both sons and daughters are obligated to do things on behalf of their parents so, it can't be talking about that, because then the Mishnah wouldn't be true. Rather, it means, on the son or for the son that are incumbent on the father to do for him for that son. Only a father has to do, a mother does not have to perform those. Now we have a braita that explains this Mishnah de Tanura Father is obligated to circumcise his son if he's a firstborn to his mother then he also has to do pijon haben the father has to teach the, the son torah he has to marry him off so here's the here's the key for why this all this might be here in he also has to teach him an occupation yes some say he has to teach him also how to swim that's doubling down on the teaching of occupation because any father who does not teach his son a trade is teaching him to be a thief Is it literally? He's teaching him how to be a thief. He's showing him how to break locks and put on masks and things. No, it means it's as if he's teaching him banditry because if he has no way to support himself, he's going to be uh, hungry and homeless. He's going to turn to a life of crime. Uh, So therefore, teach him an honest living so he won't have to do that. So how do you know that a father has to do circumcision for his son? Because regarding Abraham who was first commanded, he is commanded to circumcise his son, Yitzchak. Now, if the father didn't, for whatever reason, maybe he couldn't, maybe he didn't want to, so then the Betin has to step in and they have to uh hire get a mohel and have the child uh circumcised because we learned that from this Pasuk that says it in the passive in the in the passive every first every uh uh male shall be circumcised. So not only the father, but if, if not the father, then someone has to make sure that they are circumcised. The Betin oversees the affairs of the community. And if the Betin didn't do it, for whatever reason, they didn't realize there's no Betin in that town, and this child grows up, and now his Bar Mitzvah, he realizes, oh, I don't have a Barit Milah, so he's obligated to have himself circumcised. He has to hire someone and go get it and get himself circumcised, As the Pasuk says, any male who is not circumcised, who does not circumcise his flesh, shall be cut off from people. So he has an obligation to make sure that he is circumcised, right? Anyone who does not do his circumcision, so he gets, so not he gets karet. Well, if it was already done when he was a child by his father, then that's fine. But if not, he is responsible for doing it himself. You see that from, because it says, it says that about the person himself, that he is lo yimol at pisar latos. So that means if it's not done for him, he has to do it himself de la now how do we know that a mother is not obligated to uh, circumcise her child right, and it could be either she knows how to do it and she does a circumcision or she uh, like most men do, hire a mohel to do it, but she would be responsible to for uh, seeing to it that her child is circumcised is circumcised. How do we know that she is not obligated? Because Mishnah said that these are commandments that are only upon the father, not the mother. So it says, regarding Abraham, Hashem told him, Abraham, go and circumcise your son. It, did, it didn't say, and uh, as Hashem told her, uh, there's no commandment to Sarah regarding uh, this. Fine. That makes sense. In that first generation, Abraham, Hashem, to me, Hashem told Abraham to do it. But how do you know that's true for all generations? generations, that's always the father and not the mother, maybe only in the first generation happened to be, Abraham is the first one to, to do it, and just, you know, Sarah was not doing it, but maybe in general for mothers do, uh, are obligated. We learned from Hebrita, from the school of Reb that when it says Sav, uh, it says here, the word Sav is uh, telling people that you should make sure to do it, And it applies then and for all generations so that it's the same, right? The law will be, will, uh, will apply the same way. So just like in the first generation, it applied to a father, Abraham, and not to mother, Sada. So too in all generations, it applies to a father. Now, Zeruzziktiv, now, how do you know that Sav is always a language of galvanizing, Getting a person excited, go and do it right away. The Because here it says in the same pasuk V'sav, and also says that you should make him strong, encourage him. So Zeruz is always a language of encouragement. We see that here it says the word Siva, and it says explicitly that this is going to be true from now and forever for all generations. And so, therefore, from this it says Siva. Regarding this, every any time it says Siva. It also means it's for all generations. Okay. So we learn from here that a mother is not the, uh, not obligated to go and make sure her child is circumcised. Incidentally, a fee, a woman can actually be a mohelet. We learned that from Sipora, uh, when uh, Moshe was, uh, not, not, uh, circumcising his son. She came in with the flintstone and she did it. So, um, therefore technically that's allowed, although we don't see that happen very often to uh, redeem his son so I didn't know the father has to redeem his son if he is a firstborn from his mother because it says all of your firstborn you must redeem now, if the father didn't do it again for whatever reason Is not around. He's not able. He doesn't. Doesn't want to. Then the child, when he grows up, has to redeem himself. The obligation is still there, right? That money is still owed to the kohen. He still has that holiness of a bechor that has to be redeemed. So the child can do it himself. When he grows up. Mipakada. Now how do you know that? The mother is not also obligated. You know, it could be both are obligated. Someone, the father or the mother, has to go and make sure you do a pijon haben. tipade tipade koshe mesuve lifdot et asmo mesuve et Since the past the word tifte and t- you can read it both ways. You can read it. If there and uh, right, you shall redeem, and also tipa, de, you shall be redeemed. So we learn that, uh, we learn an equivalence. Anyone who is commanded to redeem himself, and that's here talking about a son who grows up, he has to redeem himself, will also be obligated to redeem others, if he is the father of of a Bechor. But anyone who is not obligated to redeem himself is not obligated to redeem others. A woman is not commanded to redeem herself, and therefore Therefore, she is not commanded to redeem her son. Now, how do we know that? How do you know? Maybe a firstborn daughter... Um, has to redeem herself herself when she grows up. So again, we take this equivalence of these two readings of the word, and we say in any case where someone else is obligated to redeem that person, then that person is also obligated to redeem themselves when they grow up. That is true for a boy, there, where there's says a father is obligated to redeem his son, so that's why the son has to redeem himself if it's not done but someone uh, where others are not commanded to redeem them that's true for a daughter uh, that daughter does not have to redeem herself either when she grows up and finally how do you know that a parent doesn't have to do pijon on a firstborn daughter so all comes finally down to this since it says uh, that Uh, um, or any firstborn in your sons you you have to redeem so I mean sons and not daughters since a father is obligated we don't know father yet let's say we don't know father maybe father mother will say parent since a parent is obligated to redeem only a son and not a daughter therefore a daughter is not required to redeem herself when she grows up. Since she's not required to redeem herself, she's also not required to redeem others, including her own son. And that's how we know that only a father has to do pijon aben. A mother is not obligated to do pijon aben on her son. Tenor banan. Hu let's say you have a man who he was uh, a firstborn and his father never did Pidyon HaBen and now he grows up and has a son of his own and now he's faced with a situation where he has to do Pidyon HaBen on himself and on his son but he has limited funds he only has five coins so what what should he do? so the answer is he he uh, comes first Yes, he, he has his own obligation his obligation to himself takes precedence over that of his son Right? put on your own mask first and only then that on your child rabbi Omer beno kodmo sheze mitzvato alavi veze mitzvato beno alav rabbi disagrees and says no the child is first because with regard to the father his mitzvah was upon his father right the grandfather of the of the child that was born um, and so that takes uh, that's secondary whereas the child here that's here his primary mitzvah is on uh, is on himself, right? The child is on the, that child's obligation is on his father, who is the himself in this scenario. Therefore, basically saying that the primary obligation of ben is something that the father has to do for his son. Only secondarily, if that was not done, then the son, when he grows up, does it. Therefore, someone who has to redeem himself and his son has to go redeem his son first, because that's his primary obligation before himself, because the primary obligation for himself was that his father should have done it. So that's the, uh, a different opinion than Tanakama Amar B'Yirmiya hakol modin, uh, kodem libno. misvad adifa. is going to explain his opinion about this braita and say, no, don't, don't read it in a straightforward way. Actually everyone agrees if there's only five coins then the person does it for, to himself first. because we have another general rule that uh, mitzvah for himself is uh is takes precedence the machroket in this is actually talking about a more limited case where there are five coins that are um a leaned to someone else there's a lien on them meaning that that there's a, a lien on a property that's worth five selayim and that's the property has already been sold so there's a there's someone out there with uh with that money if someone has a prior lien to it then they can go and collect it but otherwise it's not available there's another five sale aim that are unsold property that he has here in hand and cash so now there are in fact uh, access to f- the other five can we access those? And can, it's basically kind of owed to the Kohen, because when someone has to do pijan, basically we're saying that they owe the Kohen, some Kohen, five Sela'im. So can we uh, remove that, that lien property and give it to the Kohen? So that's the damya. Since in the, in the Torah, it already says you have to do pijan haban, that's considered like a written loan document. All right? I, I, don't, we didn't have to write a, a written law document that says, uh, the, I, I owe the Kohen five selaim. I don't have to write it. It's already in the Torah. What's better than the authority of a Torah to make it a financial obligation? So, Behane Chamesh padek Libre, Vazil Kohen vetaref Leda Bishubadim Ledideh. So therefore, you have an easy solution, um, that with the five that he has available, that guy, this father, should redeem his son. And then, the other the obligation to himself to redeem himself well he was obligated to that that kohen was owed the money from the moment that that kid was born and that that was prior to the sale so therefore the kohen can go to the buyer of the field that's worth five salaim and say listen, I know you bought the field, but I have a prior lien on it because this guy who sold you the field, he was never redeemed. So he owes a Kohan five Salaim, hand it over. That's what the Behuda meant when he said, um, Hu kodem libno, that he, uh, he redeems himself um, uh, with that leaned uh, uh, property, although he also does his son with the available money. That's Rabbi Utah. Whereas Rabbanan say, No, you can't call just because it's written in the Torah that there's a law that you always have to do and give five salim to a kohen that doesn't actually create a monetary obligation on this his his land on himself such as his his land will be leaned if you want to do that you have to actually write a document a loan document right this is a, a commandment does not is not the same as a loan document so the commandment says, you have to go do Pidyon ben. If your father didn't do it, you have to do it yourself. So you have to go and do it, right? And then, you know, if you do it, then you need money, cash on hand to, to accomplish that. Um, so you can't use the uh, leaned property for that. Therefore, there's only five Salaim altogether since there's only five Salaim you have to choose between one or the other and we choose the person himself because a person should take care of his own uh, obligation first the obligation upon himself with the uh with the, the, the land that he or the money that he owns and the one that is uh, uh that uh, sold and has a lien on it he cannot use and that is the topic of the Machloket. so if someone has a choice they can only do one they only have enough funds for one to either redeem himself or to go to go to Jerusalem for the holiday. Day. Uh, we're comparing these two things because they appear together in the same Pasuk. Um, so he should redeem himself first, and then if he has leftover money, then he can go and do Aliyah. Rabbi omed oled Rabbi Disagrees and says, Go uh, go uh, go enjoy the holiday and uh, then eventually when you can do pijon why because aliyah regel is uh well the time will pass right you can, if you're gonna the uh, pesach is gonna be finished right sukkot so will be finished you won't be able to do it so this is something that takes priority because it happens right away whereas the pijana ben, okay you're supposed to do it as early as you can after 30 days but if you didn't um so you could do it next month you could do it in two months whenever you get the money whenever you can So, that way you can end up being able to do both. So, we understand, according to Biudah, he gave the reason, right? Because you want to do the one that's pressing right away, and because otherwise you won't be able to do it at all, and then you do Pijana Ben that you could do later. But, what's the reason? He doesn't give a reason. Because that's the order in the Pasuk. They both appear in the very same Pasuk. First, it says... Do haben, and then later in the Pasukah says, Do not see me op- uh, empty handed. Rather, when you come on the holiday, you should bring gifts. And so that's talking about aliyah la regel. How do we know that if a person had five firstborn uh, boys from five different wives, meaning it's it's not his firstborn, but it's their firstborn, that you have to do pidyon haben? For all of them, tamo bechol banecha, tifteh. Right? Because it says, all the firstborn of your sons, you have to do pijon This is, in fact, the halacha. A lot of times at pijun haben, sometimes someone will get up and speak and say, "This is a once-in-a-lifetime mitzvah." Actually, it's not true. It's a once-in-a-lifetime mitzvah only for that marriage of this uh, this father and mother. All right, Once once a mother has a pijun, that's it. The, then that the, that couple cannot do another pijun haben. But if the father um, eventually gets uh, get, has another wife, gets remarried and has a firstborn for her um with that one, then he would do Pidon HaBen again. Now we ask, Peshtah ve Peter Rechem Talarachamana. We say, isn't this obvious? The whole point, the the, the, the Torah says, this is a Peter Rechem, the firstborn from a womb. Therefore, dependent on the on the mother right anytime it's her firstborn, you're gonna have to do ben. why do you have to give me why do you have to uh go through and give me a, a find the pasuk for this why do we need that <laughs> because I might have thought maybe we should make a gizera Shava firstborn and firstborn regarding from inheritance regarding inheritance, this is the first of his strength for inheritance is only one firstborn of a father, right his firstborn son gets double um and it doesn't matter if it's from if he has two wives or three wives and there's firstborns from each of them, it's whoever got whoever he sired first. Gets the double portion and not all the the firstborn the, that was born his from him second even though it was the firstborn from the mother and so but I might have thought I should make a gezerah uh, Shava and say uh, if for pidyon ben also it's his firstborn so that's why I asked the teacher teach me kol you do pidyon ben for every single one of the firstborn from its mother. On the list of the B'raita is that a father has to teach his son Torah. How do we know that? Because the Pasukan Shema says you have to teach your children. Now, if a, per, if a person's father did not teach him Torah and he grows up, Well, he has to teach himself. He can't say, well, my father never taught me, so I can be ignorant. No, he has to teach him himself because the same letters uh, can be read, Velim to teach, or it can also be Ulma to learn. So if you were not taught, you have to learn. How do we know that a mother is not obligated to teach her son Torah? Just like we had that exercise similar, similarly before, since it says the word and you can re- vocalize it as teach or learn, so we make a comparison between them. Anyone who is obligated to to learn as obligated to teach but anyone who's not obligated to learn themselves is not obligated to teach so since a woman is not obligated to learn she is not obligated to teach her son so now the next step how do you know that a woman is not obligated to learn Torah herself also from the same uh two readings that we make equivalent. So we learn from there that anyone where other someone else is commanded to teach that person, that person has to teach themselves. Whereas if there if other people don't are not obligated to teach them, then they don't have to teach themselves. And so a father has to teach his child his son, therefore a son has to learn when he grows up. But a a parent does not have to teach his or her daughter and therefore the daughter does not have to learn when she grows up now, how do you know that no one is obligated to teach a daughter right not a father even So it goes back to this, to teach your son, son and not daughter or so. To go backwards, only a, a son needs to be taught, not a daughter. Therefore, only a son needs to teach himself if his father didn't uh, didn't teach him. And therefore, only a father is obligated to teach his son and the mother is not obligated to teach her Son. Now uh, similar to the exercise we said before what if you have a choice and either I learn myself or my son goes to learn I only have enough uh, you know money for one teacher or someone has to go to work or whatever right, so who comes first the person himself is uh, comes comes uh, is obligated before going to and teaching and having his son taught. The <speaking in Hebrew> <speaking in> biudah <Hebrew> says well, it depends if the son is diligent and sharp and he's going to keep his learning, then the son the son has more talent and will grow better. So then the son takes precedence. Abu. <speaking in Hebrew> So, for example, Rabbi Yaakov, the son of Rabbi Achah, the son of Yaakov, his father sent him to go study before Abaye. So he went and studied with him for a while, and I uh, saw that uh, the, the child is not, uh, his, his learning is not sharp so a Ana di famin tubat de an see you you have a ADD, a d d you're 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 not you're not you're not comprehending and uh, remembering the learning you know what better that i go and you stay home i will go and study so you that's an example right it says even though uh, you know the if the child was better then the child would go but if not then he should go himself because that he is more important than his uh, one is more important is more obligated than his son. Shema Abaye deka hava'ate. Now Abaye, who was a teacher there, heard that Abaye HaVachev is coming to the yeshiva himself. He's not sending his son anymore. And he was uh, known as a great Sadiq. And now in the study hall of Abaye, there was a demon. And it was uh, so powerful. It was harming people. Uh, when two people would enter, they would be harmed, even during the day. Usually demons aren't uh, uh, don't attack during the day, only at night, and only when someone's attacking alone. But this one didn't follow the rules of demons and wouldn't behave himself and was attacking people. And no one can control it. So Abayah said to the townspeople, Nobody host him. Don't bring him to his house. That way, he'll have nowhere to sleep except in the Bet Midrash. So he'll spend the whole night in the Bet Midrash, and the demon surely will come. The demon, even this demon comes out more at night. And then, who knows, maybe a miracle will occur, and Ravachabar Yaakov will be attacked by the demon, but he will slay the demon, and that will save us all. So Abayah is setting up. uh, Rav'acha here. Anyway, so Rav'acha came and he uh, spent the night in the Rav'acha, in the study hall. And the demon came and uh, took the appearance, I guess it could have different appearances, of a seven-headed serpent. Rav'acha he was praying and every time he bowed down, uh, one of the heads would fall off. Next day, God upset. If not that a miracle had occurred, you would have placed me in danger, right? You know, you used me. Uh, for this purpose, oh look, it, it, uh, it turned out all right. But you know, we, we don't we don't like to rely on miracles. T'enor banan le torah torah Now, a person has a dilemma, he doesn't know what to do first. Should he learn torah first or get married first? Uh, on the one hand, you want to be able to learn torah while you don't have to worry about um, uh, uh, taking care of a wife and of home and children, and you know, and um, you don't have that, that burden of uh, having to go to work to provide for a wife and household. So therefore, you might say better to learn Torah first. On the other hand, um, as a young man gets older, it's difficult to be single and to, to control his urges. And so we say, maybe better to have a wife. And that way, right, that's, you don't have to think about uh, who I'm dating, uh, what, 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 what's going to happen. You have a wife, that's all finished. He can control his desires and then he can study Torah better. So it's a real dilemma. So the answer is, Yilmod Torah best to learn Torah. Concentrate on Torah studies and then push off and then eventually when you have all that Torah under your belt then you go and get married. However, But if a person he can't withstand his urges and he can't live without a wife so then go and marry first and then find a way while you're married to continue to learn Torah. Uh, practical advice, right? Depends on the person. Amar of Shemuel, Isha, Mod Torah. Shemuel, who lived in Babel, said the proper way to go is that one should get married first and then learn Torah after, right? Have your... know who you're going to marry, have her, uh, um, uh, be married, and take care of the yeser hara, and then you can learn Torah better. Rabbi Yochanan, whose from Eretz Israel, says, what do you mean if a person has a millstone around his neck, meaning the obligation, the responsibility to provide for his wife or his family, uh, he's going to feel the pressure all the time to have to go to work. How's he going to sit and be able to concentrate on Torah? Therefore, no, don't do that. Just study Torah first. And, uh, uh, um, push off marriage till later they're not actually disagreeing with, with each other because they live in d- different countries and well, this is for us and that's for them. In Bavel, there was a different type of economy um, and so a person could get married and his wife would go and get a job and provide and he can continue to learn Torah and that was fine. Whereas in Eretz Israel, it didn't work that way. In Eretz Yisrael, the person, the man would have to go provide. So then, how is he going to be able to study Torah? So therefore, study Torah first. That's one explanation. There's different explanations about the differences between Eretz Israel and Bavail, Um but since the situation was different in each, so each uh, answer applies to each uh, to each one. So basically, you know, we have to do what is practical in one one given's uh one's given uh condition and atmosphere. Now, further on, the benefits of getting married young, as they did in Babel. Rav Chistah used to tell Ravuna that Ravchista used to tell about Ravhamnuna, tell him that Oh, this is a he's a great he's a great man. So Ravuna says, "What? Well, when he comes to you, I'd like to meet him, right? Come bring him to me, so I can meet this great man that you speak of." So one day he did come, and Ravuna sees that he doesn't cover his head with a cloth uh, like the Torah scholars would cover their heads, kind of like today when you know some people cover their heads with a talit, when they're when they're praying, a sign of piety. He sees he's not doing that. So he says, how come? How come you don't cover your head with the with uh, with a cloth uh, to show your extra piety if you're a great of ma- great man? am de la nasibna because I'm not married. This seems to be the origin of the custom that for Ashkenazim uh, do not wear a um, uh because they're not married. I mean, talit atef uh, is you know, we wrap our heads and so uh, associated with that. So he says, I'm not married, so I'm not you know, even though he might be great in Torah. If he's not married, he's not going to uh, do this custom of covering his head. turns his face away from him and says, I don't want to see you again until you get married. Right? In other words, you know, stop this. You have to get married young. It's important. It's better to be married and you'll still continue to learn Torah. Uh, but being married, that way you will you don't have to uh, think about that. You will allay your at haram um, so, right, uh, not as a punishment, don't see me again, but as encouragement to just go and find a wife. <laughs> when I was following. What is his general opinion? Because he says if someone's already 20 years old and still not married, then his days will all be in sin because he won't be able to control his actions and his thoughts. Um, And so, one should get married, latest, later, better earlier, latest 20. Now, it doesn't mean really, he's really going to go around and do uh, illicit uh, sexual relations. No, it means that he's going to be, have thoughts of sin. Um, so in order to avoid even the thoughts of sin better to get married younger and we have Rava says is also a beraita from the school of Rabbi Ishmael that says until a person is 20 years old HaKadosh Baruch Hu sits and waits or so when is he going to get married I hope he's going to get married Hashem is rooting him on right go and find someone he gets to 20 and still he's not married uh, Hashem said, loses patience. It says, let that person's bones swell. They're angry at him, right? You know, I'm I'm hoping for you. I was rooting for you. That's it. You still, you know, you still can't find anybody. It still means you're not motivated to do so. And uh, you know what? Uh, I, Hashem gives up on that person I'm out of also praised uh, the value of getting married younger says I'm superior to my colleagues because I got married when I was 16. and if only I would have gotten married at 14 I could have said to satan an arrow in your eye meaning that he would have been able to overcome his harat totally Um... Uh, the idea is unlike uh, Christianity where to overcome one's desires should be you know totally uh, be celibate and sublimate your physical self and be only spiritual, which basically doesn't work um, Toran says uh, instead says um, channel channel one's uh, base desires to holiness, to uh, holiness of marriage and building a family and that way it's, everything's good right all that urge is directed towards something good towards holiness and then um, he doesn't have to worry about the Yesara tempting him to do anything that is um, illegal or immoral. further advice in this regard said to the Bina, while you while you still have control over your over your son's neck, meaning while he's still young, go and marry him off, find him a wife. Right. how How old? Some say between sixteen and twenty two years old, Some say between eighteen and twenty four years old that's the ideal time and the dispute the two opinions over here um regarding how uh how old one should marry off his child is uh parallel a tanaitic a dispute as as well as when it says uh train a child in the way that he should go uh, these two Tanaim uh disagreed about the age... Um, that is best for a parent to instruct the child one says talking about from 16 to 20 years old 22 years old and the other says from 18 to 24 and so that time then when a father should marry off his son is equal to the time when a father should uh, uh, teach his son that's the age when a child's uh, formative years when a child has when a father has a lot of influence and can um, uh, direct the child to making good decisions and to being educated so that's a father's option. Obligation. We uh, we think of uh, parents' obligation when the kids are little, right? But when they get big, actually, according to this, that's the uh, that's even even a bigger responsibility to make sure that they are making the right decisions and learning the right ways. Baruch Adonai alam. Amen. V'amen.